is from uh, 1 Samuel 22. Uh, we did cover uh, 21 last Lord's Day and have been at 1 Samuel for a while with a few breaks. Uh, but here we continue uh, David in the wilderness. You'll remember last Lord's Day that uh, we viewed the three scenes where David received bread from Ahimelech and a sword from him as well. And then he acted insane in front of the king of Gath named Achish. So First Samuel 22, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. Everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. And David went thence to Mizpah of Moab, and he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you, till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab. They dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold, depart, and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Hereth. When Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men that were with him, meanwhile Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah, having his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. Then, once he heard this, Saul said to his servants that stood about him, Hear now, ye Benjamites, remember Saul's of, of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me, and there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you that is sorry for me, or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait, as at this day. And then answered Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him. That is, Ahimelech acquired for David, inquired for David, and gave him victuals or, or food, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent to call Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests that were in Nob, and they came, all of them, to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, thou son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said unto him, Why have ye conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, in that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as at this day. Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David is, which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thine house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me, let not the king impute anything unto his servant, nor to all the house of my father, for thy servant knew nothing of all this, less or more. 
And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house. And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand is also with David, because they knew when he fled and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. The king said to Doeg, Turn thou and fall upon the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned, and he fell upon the priests, and slew on that day fourscore and five persons that did wear a linen ephod, that is, that many priests. And Nob, the city of the priests, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings, and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priests. And David said unto Abiathar, I knew it that day, when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. Abide thou with me, fear not, for he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life. But with me thou shalt be in safeguard. Amen. Then from 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted. And in the day of salvation have I succored thee, satisfied thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience and afflictions and necessities and distresses and stripes and imprisonments and tumults and labors and watchings and fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold, we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things." Amen. And then Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11, the temptation of Jesus. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. And when the tempter came to him, that is the devil, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world 
and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, go away, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. It is a truth that you must affirm, and Scripture bears witness to it, the Old Testament, the New Testament, that those who seek to do away with God and His Christ will seek to do away with you. Christ Himself bears witness to this. He says, They have hated me first, and they will hate you because of me. What a heartwarming encouragement. It indeed may sound like an encouragement. It may not sound like an encouragement, but it is meant to be. For just as Christ was not ultimately overcome, despite his enemies doing everything that they could to make that happen, you in Christ will not be overcome either. You will abide with Christ and triumph over all things. This passage begins to show us this by making parallels with David to the Lord Jesus. The passage begins and ends with this. Children, maybe you noticed at the beginning of the chapter and the end of the chapter I read that it sounded like something that happens in the Gospels or some things like Jesus says are said by David. David is positioned as one who has departed did not jesus frequently leave the crowds david also draws the needy to himself he is beginning to draw a following just as the lord jesus did in the gospels even though saul is wanting him dead and is pursuing him unto that end you even have a a clearer picture when It's declared that David became a captain over those who followed him. He evidently was a king who eased their distresses. He eased their debts and he brought them contentment. Do we not come to the Lord Jesus for all these things? He sets our hearts at ease when we come to Christ. We are assured that all things will be made well, even though circumstances declare otherwise. Jesus cancels the debt of our sin. And he also practically teaches us the way to handle our own financial debts with his personal wisdom. And Jesus brings contentment. These people were met with a tremendous amount of discontentment. Their their kingdom, their land was in turmoil. Saul was becoming more and more of an idiot. His actions were absurd. And yet David was the place at which they found refuge. He brings contentment just as Christ does. Certainly Christ is greater. And we know this truth from our own hearts because our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Christ. Another way that David images the Lord Jesus and images righteousness in general is he has a supreme love for his father and his mother. And he makes sure that they are cared for. Do you remember one of the very last things Jesus did on earth 
when he's hanging on the cross, he made sure his mother was going to be cared for. Did you note as we read through 1 Samuel 22 that the place where they were was in Moab? Think of Ruth, how she sought refuge in the people of God. And here you have a bit of the turning, uh, turning of the tables. David provides, like Christ does, a refuge for the escaped. Abiathar. Do you remember last week when we read from Mark chapter 2 in the morning service? I explained to you why it doesn't say Ahimelech, it says Abiathar. But this is the man that Jesus references in Mark 2 when he refers to the time when David went to the temple to receive bread as a justification for his disciples grabbing grain on the Sabbath. Aren't these things such fitting descriptions and mirrors to our powerful master, the Lord Christ? What we're beginning to see is not just that David is on the run. Remember we mentioned this last week and the parallels that David has with the people of God and Jesus in the wilderness. God is creating a new Israel around David. God is creating a new Israel or a new people for his own self around David. The true Israel is recognizing what and who Saul is, and they're leaving him to go to David. Just as we see in the Gospels, where many forsake the teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees in order to be aligned with the new and true Israel, Jesus Christ himself. But those who remain members of that old and apostate Israel that old and corrupt church, we might say, they join a wicked king in pursuing and persecuting the righteous. But yet there's another, <coughs> excuse me, another image of a new Israel being formed. Did you notice that you have a prophet, a priest, and a king all here around David? David being the king, the prophet being Gad, and then Ahimelech and his son, Abiathar, serving as the priestly figures. God is building a new Israel around David. You see, David mirrors the Lord Jesus in his actions, and the Lord is showing him to be the center of a new Israel, that remnant that God so often preserved and kept waiting for a new faithful captain. But I want to ask a question. In a human sense, what is it that drew these crowds to David? He certainly didn't have what we might say numbers on Saul. We're told here he only has 400. He probably didn't have at his disposal at the time the earthly provisions that Saul had as king. Because remember the last chapter he had to find food and arms. What is it? that drew the crowds to David. Quite simply, it was his character. It was his character. Ahimelech himself says in this chapter, who is so faithful among all your servants? Talking to Saul, who is as faithful as David? He does your bidding. He's honorable in your house. He's, he's your son-in-law. Who is more faithful than him? Well, the answer is no one. And yet Saul still 
pursues him. I would argue that Ahimelech is probably aware, because of Saul's insanity, what he's about to face. And yet, he still bore witness of David's integrity. He probably could have found a way out of this by making up a different story, but he told the truth when he says uh, in verse 15, did I, begin, did I then begin to inquire of God for him, be it far from me? He's not saying that I didn't do what you're saying I did. He's saying I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know David uh, was on the run, but I know that David is righteous and whatever he's doing is a good thing because of David's integrity. Ahimelech knew, I would argue, what he was about to face, and yet he still bore witness of David's integrity. Children, I want you to grasp this. Ahimelech told Saul how godly David was, even though he knew that Saul hated David for this. He knew that Saul could take his life. He knew how dangerous the situation was. And yet he still spoke the truth about the Lord's servant. A couple points of application. Men of character always draw others to themselves. It doesn't happen immediately. Just as it didn't happen immediately in David's life, he's beginning to build a following. But the time always comes when the people of God especially are awakened to what's really happening and they look to men of integrity as a place for shelter and guidance. Also, men of character, like Ahimelech, I would argue, speak well of good men regardless of the consequences. You know, this would have been a perfect time for Ahimelech to do what we might call stabbing David in the back. Where he could have made up something else to try to protect his own hide. You could be called to bear witness to the truth, to defend a godly man who has got himself in trouble with ungodly people. That happens all the time. And there's a temptation to speak well of good men only when it's safe to do so. But a good man, even under oath, will tell the truth of others in order to not bring his own goodness into question. Again, it would have been so easy for Ahimelech to throw David under the bus, but he didn't. And what about this judgment that comes upon Ahimelech? Because it's more than Saul's rage. It is Saul's rage, but it's more than that. As Saul is rebuking his followers, did you notice how pathetic he sounded? He's rebuking his followers for not being as loyal as they ought to be. He petitions them for help in finding David. David hadn't given them what he had given them, but yet they were unwilling, more likely unable, they didn't know, to help Saul catch him. But then you have Doeg volunteering. Doeg is one of those names you need to remember from the Old Testament. Doeg volunteers the information that Saul needed. Remember last time in 1 Samuel 21, 
Doeg was bound before the Lord. We're not told why. We're not even really told what that means. It seems to be that Doeg was worshiping, maybe. But in the Lord's providence, Doeg being bound before the Lord becomes the means by which David's location is known. And then Doeg is the instrument that Saul uses to carry out this slaughter. Doeg not only provides the information, but being the Edomite that he was, anytime you see somebody called an Edomite, be ready. He was willing to carry out Saul's wish of putting to death Ahimelech and all his father's house. Now, could you imagine the sight of this? We're told that this included men, women, children, and even infants. They were all put to death by Doeg through the command of Saul because of David. And all their livestock, all their possessions as well, were slaughtered. This is even worse than what Job faced. What is this judgment that's carried out by Saul's rage? Do you remember back in 1 Samuel 2? I know that was a long time ago for us. When the Lord pronounced judgment upon Eli and his house because of his failure to lead his family and guard the Lord's worship. There, he promised to cut off all of Eli's house. The priesthood was hereditary. That means that Ahimelech was related to Eli. So when God carries out this judgment on Ahimelech, he is sovereignly accomplishing his purpose that he declared in Eli. Though Eli was long gone, the Lord sovereignly accomplishes his justice through wicked Saul and Doeg. What a mind bender. Almost like when the apostles speak of the Lord Jesus being crucified at the hands of wicked men. They were the instruments that God chose to carry out this judgment. Those who refrained from carrying out this judgment, yes, they should be applauded. They're still, for some reason, serving Saul. But when Saul called on them for this work against the Lord's priests, they refused. Now notice that God did not use David to do this. But God used Saul and Doeg. This is a further chastisement on the memory of Eli and shows us just what the Lord thinks, especially of those who lead in his house and yet refuse to lead in their home. David was not the chosen one to carry out this judgment. It was Paul, uh, Saul. Now a warning here is called for. Kind of a practical thought pattern we need to enter into. Do not be surprised if you suffer temporal punishment, right, punishment in this life, for the sins of those who have gone before you. That is exactly what fell on Ahimelech. The sins of Eli 
came to bear on Ahimelech. Is that not what we see in our own land at this time? The sins of the past causing trial, difficulty, and punishment upon us. Do not be surprised as well if righteousness leads you to this punishment. It's not you being punished for someone else's sins. It's the full effect of God's judgment that reaches sometimes from one generation to the next. Again, I don't think we can say that Ahimelech did anything wrong in helping David. He worked off what he had and he served the Lord's servant. But this service led to his death and that of his entire household and family. You and I cannot know or begin to understand how the Lord weaves all these things together. But we can know that no matter what circumstance he puts us in, righteousness is the requirement, like Ahimelech. Just as you never have the right to do wrong, you are never allowed to be Afraid to do what is right to the point that you refuse to do what is right. You cannot be afraid to do what is right because of the consequences. But this is not all for Eli and Ahimelech's family. One of his sons escaped. Much in the way that David escaped repeatedly from beneath Saul's devices, so Abiathar escapes and flees after David. In the Lord's kindness, certainly undeserved, he is able, Abiathar is able to escape and find refuge under King David. Those same judgments I warned you about a moment ago, God is not against preserving one or many in order that they might fly to his son and have him as their safety. Just because the punishments of those who have gone before us and the full outworking of God's judgment can fall upon us does not mean that God fails to preserve some. Sometimes he does in his mercy. Leave more than one, sometimes just one, Abiathar. But you mustn't move through this passage without making note of the allusions to the cross of Christ. As I've already done, sort of. Ahimelech did nothing to deserve this punishment. Abiathar did nothing to deserve this punishment. David did nothing to deserve this punishment. But he suffered. Ahimelech suffered even unto death for righteousness' sake. Christ suffered unto death for a greater righteousness' sake that we might go free as a bunch of Abiathar's. We don't find refuge in another, but we find refuge in him, the crucified one. You see, your sin and mine, and we can really reflect upon this, especially those of you who were in adult Sunday school, and we talked about how uh, in Colossians 3, Paul calls on Christians to mortify the members, their members that remain on the earth. And when he talks about it, he explains actions outward things, and desires. But at the very next verse after this, Paul says that it is because of those things, actions, yes, 
and desires that the wrath of God is coming upon the sins, uh, uh, the sons of disobedience. You see, the truth is because of that, that our unrighteousness extends not just to our actions, but also to our desires, to our very hearts. Your sin and mine deserves a fatal blow from someone like Doeg every single day. We deserve to be put to death at the hands of God's enemies as proof of his justice. We just do. But God's justice found another way in the sufferings of Christ. That other way is for him to bear the justice that you deserve and to be an atoning sacrifice for all that you've ever done or will do against God's holy law, whether it be in action or desire. Let me take a sidestep for just a moment. Uh, The season that we've uh, just entered into this week in the Christian calendar is that of Lent. I gave a little explanation of it from the Book of Common Worship on page 6 of your bulletin. And I know it has a questionable history. I I really do. And I'll address some of that this evening. I throw that out there as an incentive to come back for evening worship. If it must be said, and maybe it should, no man, no church, has the power to compel anyone else to do something that the Bible does not command. That is not what my aim will be in utilizing Lent. But it may be useful for you to know that Lent traditionally has two emphases. It was a season of preparation for those who were going to be baptized on Easter, those who were preparing to be identified with Christ. And second as a period of self-denial and self-examination. Now, you might say, identifying with Christ, self-denial, and self-examination are not seasonal things. They're things that Christians are always to be doing, or always to be thinking about. That is true. But neither is the birth of Christ seasonal. Neither is his resurrection seasonal or any other topic that might be emphasized in a season or, for that matter, a sermon series. But you and I are merely human, and we can only focus on so many things at one time. So how does 1 Samuel 22 help us with identifying with Christ and self-denial or self-examination? The first would be seeing David as a shadow of Christ, who is the the fullness, the antitype. The faithful, the new Israel that was forming, was identifying with David regardless of the consequences. You see it in Ahimelech, and this is similar to our identification with Christ. They were willing to forego all in order to have this lesser servant of the Lord as their safeguard. How much more so should we be willing to forego all in order to have this greater servant, the greatest servant of the Lord, as our safeguard? Two, self-denial or self-examination. I would ask you, in order to appreciate God's mercy more, What 
is keeping you from being beneath the Lord's wrath from someone like Doeg? What is keeping you from being wiped off the face of the earth because of your sin today? God's mercy. There's nothing else. What ought you, in light of that, be denying in order that your identifying or union with Christ might be made more full? And this is where fasting and abstinence come in, and I'll talk about that more tonight. But in conclusion, the Lord has provided his son, the greater David, to be the one to whom we go to for a greater provision than David could ever give. God has provided his son, the one who defeated the devil in the wilderness, to be your true place of refuge and safety, even though all around you may be against you, even though temptations wage within, down to the desires the initial inclinations of the heart, though those things are present, God provides safety in his son. And because these things are true, I leave you with the words of Paul. Receive not the grace of God in vain. What does that mean? Don't forget what Christ has done. Don't forget who Christ is. You will have an opportunity this week, maybe this very day, to be manipulated by some power like Saul. Will you turn to the Lord Jesus and flee to him, recognizing the Lord's mercy in Christ? Or will you submit yourself to the yoke of bondage, refusing Christ, remaining in that army of Saul, and refusing Christ and all his calls to self-denial? You must know that in him you possess all things. You stand as Christians to lose nothing and indeed to gain everything by serving him who loved you and gave himself for you. Amen.